Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Um, I am so excited and honored to be here uh, with you guys this evening. Um, as Reed mentioned, I live in the mountains of New Mexico now, where I work at Glorietta, and I would love to talk with you more about that. Um, campus had a huge impact upon my life. Um, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but in maybe a different light this evening. Um, I manage the family camp program here, but I am a very proud alum of Truman State and of CCF. I graduated here, yeah, in 2015, uh, and that means that I came to Truman a decade ago in the fall of 2011. Um, I moved into oh, to north of Mohall at that time. Um, and maybe like some of y'all, I had next to no idea of what I was going to study. And so after a long time, I finally settled on exercise science. Um, I pressed into a love for running and I walked onto the cross country team for a season. I, I was easily the slowest guy on the team. Uh, I spent two years living in the Halley Hotel um, I already met a couple of you guys. Man, so good to see y'all. Um, but perhaps most importantly, I found a home with the people here at CCF. Um, and that idea of home is what kept popping into my mind uh, when Reed asked me to share here this evening. And it was only a couple days ago that I realized I had chosen the theme of home on what would be homecoming week here at Truman. And I was immediately worried that it was way too on the nose to do any good for any of us. Um, but God kept the idea in my head. And I'm hoping that even in all of the overblown clicheness that the idea of home can bring, um, that we'll find something special in that idea here tonight. Um, because when I look back on my life and I think about home and not just home as a town um, or a place where the heart is, but rather as an experience, then I realized that it's one of the things that has impacted my story the most. Um, so before we dive into all of that, um, would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this family that you have gathered here, for the place that you have called all of us to be right now. Uh, would what we say and do um, this evening and in the weeks and months to come bring glory to you and push us even deeper into loving you and into loving each other. Amen. To properly begin my story, we need to go back to 1800s Imperial Russia, and I promise we won't be here too long because I know it's cold, uh, but not as cold as my great-great-grandparents, Carl and Anastasia, were um, on somewhere in the plains of Russia. They were members of this religious group called the Dukobors, which roughly translated into English means spirit wrestlers. And so the Dukobors, amongst many other things, believed that God dwelled inside of people individually, uh, and they were also ardent pacifists. And so this led to conflict with the Russian Empire once the empire wanted to do all sorts of military conscrip uh, conscription. And so with 14,000 other Dukobors, my great-great-grandparents immigrated to Canada, um, sponsored by Dukobor supporter Leo Tolstoy. Um, and they settled on the plains of Saskatchewan. And unbeknownst to them, this kicked off a century-long tradition in the Swetlishnoff family of moving. 
Um, this tradition was a bit of a slow burn at first. Um, Carl and Anastasia's oldest, my great-grandfather Peter, never actually moved to my knowledge. Uh, and I think this is largely because at a young age he died tragically along with his wife, Mary. Um, and that left my grandpa Jack an orphan. And it seems like Grandpa Jack had little choice but to move throughout his life. Um, at a young age, he moved to British Columbia with an uncle. Not too long after that, he was over in Korea, where he served in the military as a paratrooper. Um, and fortunately for uh, my father and myself, he survived near death when he made a jump and his chute didn't open and he landed in the perfect depth of water to survive uh, and keep the family line going. And so once he moved back to Canada, uh, he met and married a beautiful nurse, a nurse named Ruth. And he lived out a life as a traveling mechanic, taking the family to Rochester, New York, to Halifax, Nova Scotia, and then eventually back to Ontario. And my dad, Jack and Ruth's eldest, came along during their stint in Rochester. And so at a young age, he learned what it meant to move across the border and then also across the country. And once he was of age, he took the tradition of moving to a whole new level. He moved from Ontario to Ann Arbor, Michigan, to Big Rapids, Michigan, to Waterloo, Ontario, all just for college. And then he moved down to Southern Illinois to take a job and to ultimately meet and marry my mom. And once they were married, the moving just kept coming. Not long after their wedding, they moved back to Canada where I came along. And then shortly thereafter, it was back to Illinois where we rented two different places over to Colorado, where we moved from one townhome to another, and then back to Illinois, where we moved from one house to the next. All this meant that by the time I entered high school, I think I had called eight different addresses home. And I know that there are people who have moved much more than that, and people who have moved eight times who would have an easy time with that. But for me, as an only child, um, as a shy mama's boy who embodied the definition of shyness, it was hard. Uh, it took a toll. For whatever reason, I always felt this pressure to fit in that was never quite satisfied. And with each move, it seemed harder and harder to make friends. And so when I arrived to Truman in the fall of 2011, uh, it seemed like I had a really hard time telling people where I was from, where home was. And so I entered my freshman year the whole time, pretty desperate to fit in. Uh, <laughs> I was spending so much time scared to death of what other people thought of me that I really had no idea what I thought of myself, let alone what God thought of me. And looking back, I realize now that what I was really in need of was a place to rest from the ridiculous lies and pressures that I was putting on myself, a place to be known and accepted, a place that embodied home. And it was then that two important things happened in my story. Um, in reality, it was really hundreds of things through a multitude of people. And the last thing that I want to do here is downplay the impact, the collective impact of all of those things. But for the sake of brevity, I'll focus uh, just on two. The first came right after the CCF spring break trip and a shameless plug, go on spring break. It's great. Um, it was the first Wednesday, uh, Wednesday service right after we got back to campus. I was standing outside of Violet Hall 1000 and my friend Adam came up to me and to a few other guys and he said, 
hey, we should start an accountability group. And I really didn't know what the heck that meant, but it sounded like someone wanted to get to know me and to spend some time together. Uh, and so I agreed. And guys, I'm so thankful that Adam acted on that nudge from the spirit to start that accountability group um, because it grew to mean so much to me. Before then, I don't know if anyone had ever asked me deeply, like, how are you, really? And then cared enough to, to listen the whole way through. And I was terrified, too. I didn't know how to go to this sort of depth with anyone, and I was certain that if I revealed my real self, whoever the heck that actually was, that I'd be judged and found unworthy of being befriended. Uh, and yet, to my amazement, these guys bared their whole lives to one another, and slowly but surely, I opened up myself. That finding acceptance, brotherhood, support, finding something that maybe was hard, starting to have the stuff of home. And the second thing that happened uh, was going into my junior year. A guy I knew named Jesse told me that I needed to move into the Halley house. And I went back and forth on the idea. Moving in sounded like it'd bring a lot of pressure to fit in and to figure out how to live with other people. But Jesse just would not let up. And so eventually I agreed. And when I moved in, that shy, self-conscious person inside of me wanted to take control again. But instead, I was met by a group of guys who wanted me to be family and who did everything they could to open the doors to allow others to experience the same. And home was, once again, maybe just a little bit closer. And then one night, not too much later, the impact of those two events, along with the hundreds of others, finally made themselves known to me. I was walking back from campus to Halley on one of those perfect Kirksville evenings where the moon is full and the air is crisp uh, and there's no wind like we have tonight. Uh, and I stopped dead in my tracks in the backyard of Halley. Um, I saw the warm glow of light coming from the back doors uh, and I heard the sounds of laughter and conversation coming from inside. And something special happened. Uh, standing there, a thought entered my head. Uh, and it's one of those rare thoughts that really seem to have a genesis outside of your own mind. A moment of clarity, maybe, is another way to say it. Um, and that thought was simple. It, it just said, this is home. And I know that's nothing earth-shattering. But for where I had come from and where I had found myself, it was a thought that brought tears to my eyes standing there. Uh, but this story doesn't stop with a happy ending there because I was still learning just what brought about that experience of home I had that evening. And there was much more life still to be lived. And so after graduating, um, I went on another move of my own and I went down to work at Camp Eagle in Rock Springs, Texas. And initially, my life there was really rich. My job was everything that I had hoped that it would be and I had great friends to share it with. It seemed I was well on my way uh, to carving out another experience of home. But things changed pretty quickly. Uh, I'd say it began when a number of my close friends left for other jobs. And with Camp Eagle already being an incredibly remote place to live in, I suddenly started to feel the powerful force of loneliness. And so I sought to fill that loneliness by chasing after a relationship with a girl all the way in St. Louis. And having struggled through some adventures in dating in college, I was desperate for a relationship to work. And for a little while, things seemed to be going well. 
but it wasn't long before my hopeless romantic self ran away with idolizing the idea of the relationship uh, and her in a way that never brings about anything good. And when she wisely saw that it wasn't going to go anywhere, she ended things. Uh, and it brought down the fantasy future that I had built up in my mind uh, in a tremendous crash. And so I went into full-on breakup mode, trying to work through it by doing the one thing I loved most, running. And so on a freezing January morning, I went out on the track and just ran as hard as I could. Uh, and stupidly, I didn't warm up at all. And so it wasn't long after that when I couldn't run anymore because I had this terrible pain in my knee. And so in a matter of months, my friends were gone. This relationship or the hope of it was gone. Uh, and my ability to run uh, and with it to train for this huge lifelong dream of a race was gone. And that loneliness that I mentioned before quickly turned into full-on depression. I watched as the purpose faded out of my days, like the colors fading from the leaves before they fall slowly to the ground. I lost all motivation for my job, doing what I could just to make it through the day so that I could go home and lay down. And I'd lay there for hours, motionless, motivationless, just waiting for sleep to come to take it all away. And in that depression, I only self-destructed more. I cut myself off from community. I began to worship the God of lust and its false promises of connection through porn and feeling through masturbation. I seemed afraid to be left alone with my own thoughts. And so I grew addicted to any digital pacifier I could find that would just distract me. That driven, high-achieving, typical Truman student that I thought I had embodied was gone, and it was replaced with a husk of a human that wasn't sure what the point was anymore. And if home is what I had experienced just a year or two earlier, the only word that I had for this new experience that felt so completely the opposite was hell. And it was into this hell that God brought three incredibly important characters into my story, a new friend, an old friend, and an ex-Marine. The new friend was a guy named Grable. He had recently moved to Camp Eagle, and for whatever reason, he, with no prodding from me, reached out and said, hey, can we just meet up and pray together? And in that pitch black darkness that I had been in, that was just about the greatest thing that anyone could offer. And so we began to build a friendship, and something started to come back to life inside of me. The old friend was none other than Derek James Roar III, a few months before this downturn, I had asked him for some new reading recommendations, and he had responded by sending a manila envelope where I think he used every letter of the alphabet to spell my last name uh, to me with his, uh, his latest favorites. And one of the only things I was able to bring myself to do during that time was to read one new piece a month and share a reflection with him that I typed up. Uh, and looking back, a lot of those ref reflections were probably just the, the mad ramblings of a depressed man looking for someone to listen. But thanks be to God, he listened every time. And he stood as this solid lighthouse of a mentor that started to bring some light back into the darkness. The ex-Marine was a guy named Joe Shear. I'd gotten to know him as he brought out vets to Camp Eagle every few months or so on a retreat. And uh, 
truly he intimidated me quite a bit uh, and probably because he was this incredible contradiction of a man at one time uh, on one hand I mean he was a, a cussing tattooed hardened military man and on the other he was a liberal vegan ultra runner and I just couldn't figure him out but for whatever reason, he seemed to, to want to be my friend, and he reached out to me in the midst of this depression uh, to ask if I would help guide a, troop, uh, guide a trip for some vents through the national parks of West Texas. And in my depression, I very nearly said no. For one, I simply didn't know if I'd have the energy to get up and move. And for two, it felt like just another situation where I certainly wouldn't fit in. But he was persistent. And so eventually I agreed, uh, and it turned out that that time in the desert wilderness w was just what I needed to kickstart the clearing of my mind. And so thanks in large part to those three guys, I began to walk, or maybe rather to crawl, out of this season of depression. And what's even more, I began to experience home uh, in maybe an even deeper way. And what I mean by that is thanks to the actions of these guys, I slowly began to realize that I was experiencing something that felt deeply like home just when I was around them, regardless of where that was. Prayer with Grable, those emails with D-Roy, the adventures with Joe, they all were laced with that feeling of being home. And if I look back on the characters who have played such an important role in my life and in bringing about the experience of home, I see that there are some common themes that come ringing through. There's the way that they reached out to me when I had nothing to offer in return. There's the way that they followed a nudge from the spirit into something potentially unknown and uncomfortable. There's the way they loved me for who I was in the midst of where I was at. And there's the way they looked at me and said, hey, you're worth my time. And if that's not loving and being Jesus to someone, I, I don't know what is. And so when once I, the boy from a family who just couldn't stop moving, thought that home would come if I could just be in one place for long enough or just finally fit in, God instead showed me that it's through the moments when people reach out in love that home becomes manifest, be it in the backyard of Halley or in the darkness of depression. And it was that love that ultimately brought me out of the muck and mire into the fullness of life. And so what can I do now but try to do the same for the people around me? To be Jesus and to love and to try to create an experience of home for others. And heaven knows I fail time and time again, but guys, it is so worth it to press into that. When it's all said and done, it might just be what life itself is all about. And so tonight, I want to challenge you to create home with the people around you. Step into accountability with some people. Ask the quiet person next to you how they're doing, really. Choose to do life with some people. Be sensitive to where the spirit is nudging you create home for one another. It's, it's not a foolproof game plan or some sort of secret formula, but if you give it a shot, I really think you might just experience a little bit of home and maybe even a little bit of heaven. And I don't know if I could live with myself if I didn't quote Frederick Buechner in a moment like this, and so I'm going to let his words from a book called The Longing for Home bring us to a close. Buechner writes, we are in constant danger 
of being not actors in the drama of our own lives, but reactors. The fragmentary nature of our experience shatters us into fragments. Instead of being whole, most of the time we are in pieces and we see the world in pieces, full of darkness at one moment and full of light the next. It is in Jesus, of course, and in the people whose lives have been deeply touched by Jesus, and in ourselves at those moments when we also are deeply touched by him, that we see another way of being human in this world, which is the way of wholeness. When we glimpse that wholeness in others, we rec recognize it immediately for what it is. And the reason we recognize it, I believe, is that no matter how much the world shatters us to pieces, we carry inside of us a vision of wholeness that we sense is our true home and that beckons to us. It is part of what the book of Genesis means by saying that we are made in the image of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this place and for the people who imbue it with all that it has come to mean. Father, I thank you for people who, with the eyes of Jesus, look to those around them and say, hey, you're worth my time. I pray for this family gathered here that together they can create the experience of home for one another and thereby press into the fullness of life you call all of your sons and daughters into. We love you. We're amazed at how much you love us. Amen.